In my last few years of college, one of my favorite things to do was grab a burger from Wendy's at midnight and sit at the top of the steps of Wilson Library on UNC's campus. I'd unwrap my burger, look across the rest of campus, and most likely cry. Or, you know, I'd get really close to crying. In the weeks following my father's death, I'd sit on those steps nearly every night for weeks, grab a burger, sit on the steps, cry, repeat. I'd show up at Wilson Library when I felt helpless or confused, hoping to find some sort of clarity in the emptiness of a campus at night. I like to think this is where I picked up the habit I have now. When I'm overwhelmed and don't know where to turn, I go outside, walk around, and only look up to admire the tops of the trees hitting the night sky. In moments of exhausting thoughts, I seek out clarity in nature, keep the thoughts to myself, and hardly seek out the advice of others. Today, I try to change that. Hi, I'm Sam Sabin, and this is Good Grief, a show about reconnecting with the past and my attempts to make up for lost time. If this is your first time tuning in, please stop. Like, just hit pause right now and start at episode one. It's really, really important. This is episode six, Helpless but not alone. And as a note, allergy season has hit the District of Columbia, so my voice sounds scratchier than usual. Blame the pollen. (laughs) In the present day, I'm living in D.C. It's been almost two and a half years since my father died. Two and a half years since I realized that for some weird reason, I actually cared about meeting him talking to him, getting answers to my questions. I still can't tell you why I care, but all I know is that I want one simple question answered. Why did he leave and never look back? I've felt pretty helpless for a while now. In January 2015, I read my father's obituary and had a lot of assumptions about my father confirmed. He was married when he was with my mom. He had three sons, all of whom are older than me. He was half Mohawk and had actually enrolled in his native tribe without telling me. A year after his death, I was graduating from college, and like most college students who were about to graduate, I felt lost for the first time. Do I apply for jobs and internships I don't care about right away just so I have something formal and impressive to fill my time with? Do I spend some time working around Chapel Hill just because I can? Do I try and find myself? Well, I did a mixture of the three, but in those mixed up feelings, I also decided to take some time to delve into these feelings I had about my estranged father. The rest y'all know about. I go to Aquasesne because that's the most accessible place I have to find information about my father. I find nothing. I talk to my grandma and my mom about him. I find nothing substantial. 
I meet my literal half-brothers, and again, I found nothing super substantial. By now, we're pretty much caught up with the present day. Since I met my half-brothers, I've just been sitting with my feelings, twiddling my thumbs, unsure of what to do next or where I stand. To be honest, I'm still doing that. It feels like I've been everywhere I can possibly go right now. I've talked to everyone who is ready to talk to me and who I'm ready to talk to. What do you do when you realize that the only person who has the answers you're looking for isn't around to give them to you? Dwelling on that question, that's when I remembered that I have a friend who's in a similar situation. You might be able to help me out with that. I figured we have very similar situations. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and they're still different, very different. Um, this is Hannah. We went to high school together. Hannah's also adopted. And just like me, she's starting to wonder more about her birth parents. Who are they? What did she get from them? What culture can she claim? Blah, blah, blah. But each story is different, and each person has a different perspective, which is why I turned to Hannah to essentially compare notes. She doesn't know her birth father's full name. Her half-brother has started reaching out to her, and she's struggling to figure out which culture she can claim as a mixed woman. I decided to get my head out of the clouds, or trees, and reach out. Maybe someone else who has a slightly similar story could help shed light on how to feel more settled in my months-long feelings of helplessness. Maybe. And as another note, this is a Skype call. I was eating dinner because I skipped lunch. Occasionally my cat made an audible appearance. We did our best. I feel like I'm at a point where because my dad has died, any like the questions I want to ask, I can't ask him anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like for you, it's a matter of like either not knowing <laughs> or yeah. um, is your biological mom still alive? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because my one of my siblings, because basically when my birth mother was pregnant, she already had two kids already. Mm -hmm. And she couldn't have another abortion medically yeah. and she couldn't afford to keep this child. And because she knew that my mom couldn't get pregnant and they were looking to adopt, she just contacted them, but she wasn't with my birth father. Like they weren't yeah. a couple, they weren't like, it was just, a, it was just a one night stand. And I'm assuming that's how a lot of her kids are because basically, cause I don't have any other full siblings. They're all half. Okay. There's a lot less information there for me. Yeah. And like, I don't know if I have any other half-siblings from him. I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's alive. Like, yeah. and I, I could find him because I, I, I don't know his last name off the top of my head. But obviously, it's in, like, the documents from when I was adopted. So, like, I could go in there and get that information of, and look him up. But even then, I'm not guaranteed to find him because I had tried looking up my birth mother before. And it was a bit tricky to, like, find her. But with my birth father it's sort of a similar situation like there is a chance that I could get info from him but it's not a guarantee I'm wondering uh yeah I wonder like does it 
bother you that it like is so hard to like look him up or it was even difficult to look up your birth mother when you tried i don't know in some ways it's frustrating because there's a lot of stuff that i think people that are with their biological parents take for granted like knowing things about your family history not just in terms of like um like ethnicity but just like you know, people saying like, oh my God, like you could tell, like you look so much like your mom. Like, although some people have said that to me about my mom, which is really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like that's something that like people take for granted. It's like, oh, I kind of wish I had it. On the other hand, I'm not one of those like angsty adopted kids. That's like, oh, I'm so mad because I was adopted from birth and I was brought up with my parents. Obviously, if I had been in foster care, been in like an orphanage or something, or had spent some time in my life that I remembered with other people or without the parents I'm with now, it would be different. Or if I had spent time with my birth parents beforehand, but because all I know is my parents, there's not as much like anger or resentment or anything. So I don't really, I'm not upset with my birth parents, but there's, there are things where it's like, I don't know anything about like medical history. I'm really big on like ancestry and traditions and things like that. I'm also wondering. So for me, it was very weird. Um, when my half-brothers reached out, like, it was very strange for them to just randomly show up and be like, we learned about you last night, Mm -hmm. um, when I knew that they existed for so long, um, and also to actually, like, have those people, like, be that representation of, like, oh, you actually are real, this is actually a real thing, and you are real people who are also affected by it outside of, like, my own circle, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering, like, what it was like for you when you, like, got those messages and, like... I was just so confused. Yeah. First of all, he was really dramatic about it because he added me on Facebook. And I knew that my two older half-siblings were Patrick and Danielle. And so I saw that his name was Patrick. I saw that he lived in Florida, which is the last place that I knew that my birth mother was living. And I recognized his last name as one of her last names that she had. And so I was like, huh. So I messaged my mom. I messaged her and said, is this like Patrick Patrick? Is this like my half brother? And she was like, I think it is. And so I messaged him saying like, do I know you? Because obviously if this is like a rando on Facebook out of me, I'm not going to be like, oh my God, you're my half brother. So I just, <laughs> I, <laughs> that would just be really like off-putting. Um, I was like, do I know you? And his response was, I don't, but our mothers do. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Cut the drama. <laughs> and um yeah, apparently he told me that that he had just found out about me, which is so weird because obviously my whole life I've known and known that he and Danielle existed. Um, but he had just found out and he was reaching out actually because oh, so much drama. The, basically all the other siblings have different dads. Like a couple of them have the same dad, but most of us have different dads. But Jackie is all our birth mother and apparently all the other dads forbade their kids from talking to Patrick for one reason or another and so he reached out to me because he was like oh my gosh sibling like let's chat like this this and da 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 and it's just kind of weird for me because it's this person that to him I'm his sibling but to me he's not really like he's biologically my sibling but he's not my sibling because it's not like I grew up with him like I don't know him mm-hmm. to me he's just another stranger and he was trying to talk to me in like a way that I would talk to my parents if I was going through things or talk to my close friends and he's like trying to talk to me about it and I'm just kind of like um I don't know how to tell you that like don't come to me with all these like deep personal problems thinking 
that weird family. And I do, when I refer to him, I do call him like my brother, just because it's easier to say that. But I don't know whether I should call him that because I would never call Jackie my mother and I would never call Omar my dad or my father because they're not the people who raised me and they're not the people that I call mom or dad. I call them, you know, my, my birth yeah. parents, logical parents. So there's that sort of thing. And I don't really necessarily have a desire to get close to any of my half siblings. Like if I happen to talk to them and we gelled like I would with just anybody else, I would, but I'm not going to, try and have a relationship with them just because of the fact that we're blood related. It's the only thing that I'm really interested to get. I mean, I mean, not to sound like I'm being like, um, like selfish, like the only thing I want to get from them, but the only thing I'm interested in getting from them is just information on family history, yeah. which I like, tried to get from Patrick and like barely got really anything. So I'm kind of having to like rely on, um, DNA tests, but with my birth father, it could be a whole different story. Like, I don't know how, he would respond or how his family would respond, whether that's like if he has siblings or if his parents are still alive or if there are other half siblings, if he has a family. So that's just a whole sort of mystery that I don't even know if I'm ever going to delve into. Yeah. yeah. It's just a lot. <laughs> oh, um, that just seems like the complete opposite of how, um it's like played out with my half brothers it's like we're it's like it almost feels like the beginning of like a very serious relationship mm-hmm. <laughs> where you like court like you're courting each other and you like go on dates and you're like yeah. introduce each other slowly to the important people in your lives <laughs> um and then one day like it will just click um and it's like very stressful and weird um because I don't know what to message them about and I don't know like at what point I'm supposed to tell them like hey I'm coming to town and so it just like feels very different and then I guess for us it's like a little different because it is like there's an analyst that's like pulling you guys together yeah yeah and it's like there is this like mysterious affair and like this character that we both know well like that father figure who like they know as like an actual dad and who I know as like this piece of shit Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and so it's, like, that weird, like, we have a lot of questions, I think, that pull us all together, too, in terms of, like, how, how, <laughs> um, yeah. like, just how. Um, and I'm, like, for me, I'm learning that, like, no one has that answer as to, like, mm-hmm. how it happened or why. Um, and I'm, like, in a weird limbo state where I'm, like, I don't know if I'm okay with not knowing that. <laughs> uh, it is frustrating. yeah. Uh, I'm wondering what that's like or if that like feeling manifests for you anywhere I'm assuming it's like in the family history yeah elements yeah yeah because for me obviously there wasn't any like in terms of my situation I knew it versus you there was more mystery and questions and things like that um but for me it definitely weighs more in like the ancestry and the history because that's just something that I personally find important and interesting and I love tradition and culture and I'm trying to find my own and I don't know what to adhere to because first of all because I was brought up by like white Americans there's not really a strong culture there unless you are really still ingrained in whatever culture your family came from but then if I decide if I take my DNA test and find out that I'm 
you know, how, cause every, my mom and my birth mother and Patrick and whatever, they all say that my birth mother is Cherokee. I don't know how much, but I say I go and I find out that I'm Cherokee and like a significant amount of Cherokee. Like, do I have the right to claim that culture? Because yes, it is part of my ancestry, but I wasn't necessarily brought up as somebody that other people viewed as Native American. I, but again, maybe they did because I am very racially ambiguous. So I don't know what other people are assuming about what I look like. Um, and I think that a lot of my identity is stuff that I'm trying to come into because for a really long time, not only because I was brought up in a predominantly white area and was brought up by white people and because I mixed, I definitely denied my black heritage because it was looked down on so much by society. Like anything that was considered black was like ghetto and stupid and, you know, this and that, like all these negative terms. And it was only really in, once I got into college that I started accepting that and getting into that. So like black culture and black heritage and that community is something that I am comfortable accepting because not only am I tied into it by blood, but because of how I look, some people do see me as that. So I don't feel like I'm an imposter or taking something that isn't mine for that because that is something that I am part of inherently. Um, Yeah. I think it's interesting that you're noting like the validation from like a physical appearance Mm -hmm. um because for me um one I just got a lot of like Latina Mexican (laughs) um (laughs) what else did I get (laughs) who knows um but when I was in Montreal because like why not when it's two hours from the reservation Mm -hmm. um I met with a few girls who are from I can't remember if they're from Aquasesnia or if they're from a neighboring Mohawk tribe, but like mm. they didn't even question it. They were like, oh, yeah, we figured you were like the Mohawk girl that we were supposed to meet. And that helped like for a, like a few minutes. I was like, ooh, I belong here. Um, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Where yeah. It's like, oh, cool. Uh-huh. They thought that I was like such and such instead of something like random. It's like they say that I'm like, you are right. And that is great. <laughs> well, then I'm also... I'm mostly just asking all the questions that I get. So this is a fun time. Um, <laughs> but I'm also wondering, like, why, like, I guess maybe in terms of, like, the DNA test and, like, digging more into it. Um, like, I'm wondering why you feel like you're doing it now instead of, like, earlier or, like, down the line or, like, I don't know. Like, why is it? Um, I mean, earlier... I don't know. I just, I think because I was focused on a lot other things in my life and it, I think I have been for a while interested in the DNA test, um, but hadn't like seriously started thinking about it until maybe I like got into college. And I think it's, it's probably because like growing up, once you get older is when you start to like realize when you, not like comparing yourself to other people, but just looking and see what other people have and you know realizing things about myself and how much I value ancestry and culture and things like that is what led me towards wanting to do that mm-hmm. and I want to do it and now that I've learned about it like I want to do it now I don't want to wait any longer now that I want it you know I want to know about it as soon as I can so that I don't have to wonder about it anymore does that make yeah. sense <laughs> yeah no that does make sense um because for me it's like <laughs> 
I have I had time now. I don't know. Like it just felt yeah. like I think I it's sh- like we're at a point in our life where we're done with like the big chunk of education. Like we're done with the prescribed part of our life. Yeah. Where you know once you're born, you know you get sent to pre preschool and then you go to kindergarten. You do grades one through twelve. You go to college. And now we're done with that and where it's like set to, we have to like make the decisions and we don't have to focus as much on what's being prescribed for us. And I think that this is a time when people are trying to formulate their identities. So yeah, it's not a big shocker that this is something we're trying to learn. (laughs) (laughs) And it just feels like how, like, how am I supposed to like, choose what I should be doing with my life if I don't like if I can't learn from what my parents did and learn like see those patterns and like yeah. what I've inherited I still do that thing sometimes where I walk around my neighborhood while I'm distressed look at the tops of trees and watch how the leaves flow in the wind and how they meet the sky hoping to find peace in their movements. There's something funny about grief and how it manifests itself. Some of my favorite TV shows like to tell you it's purely a step system. First, you experience capital D denial. Then it's capital A anger. And so on and so forth. You keep moving forward and never look back. What they don't like to tell you is that those who are grieving ebb and flow through the five stages of grief, never quite settling on total acceptance, or at least that's what my experience has been like. You can be angry while also still being in denial. You can start to bargain while you're still angry. Hannah here might not be grieving in the same way I am. See, I miss an opportunity to confront my biological father and understand who he is. And that's what I grieve. Hannah doesn't really care if she meets her biological father ever. But Hannah was able to shed light on one of the most important elements of the process. Remembering to make your own opportunities to learn from those you've lost in life. Once she realized no one had a straight answer for her, She made the decision to investigate her DNA to find out what exactly being mixed means for her. She's not afraid to ask her half-brother about her cultural identity, because honestly, that's all she wants from him. And she's brave and direct about it. If Hannah can accept that she needs to work harder than most to find the answers to her questions, why can't I? What else can I be doing? What have I overlooked? How else can I work to get my head out of the trees and find those answers I need? Well, there is one last thing I can do. I can try, and I mean try, (laughs) to learn from my father's wife. Good Grief is an independent production by me, Sam Saban. Editing help for this episode comes from Lydia Thompson and Rachel Wolf. Theme music by Indian Wells. Other music in this episode by Emily Rosevere. This podcast is funded partially by the UNC Creative Writing Program and the Bulch Family. 
Special thanks to my family for letting me record them and my friends for putting up with my anxieties and being my greatest editors. Special, special thanks to my dear friend, Hannah Risser, for letting me record our conversation. On the next episode. Do you think she, when do you think she found out? When do I think? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, I wasn't lying when I said I was gonna try, and I really mean try, and reach out to her. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe. And if you already subscribe, share Good Grief with a friend. You can find Good Grief on iTunes and wherever else you listen to podcasts. You can also find this podcast and more episode extras at goodgriefpodcast.com. Be sure to like the show on Facebook and follow it on Twitter. Just search Good Grief Podcast. I promise it will pop up. Also, as a fair warning, the next episode is our penultimate. I'm wrapping up the season at episode eight. So you have two more episodes, <laughs> just two. If you want to chat in between episode releases, you can find me on the internet or email me at sam at goodgriefpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Oh, I think that's, I think those are all the questions I had. <laughs> Everything just sucks. <laughs> I know.